Reading your Bible, praying, finding time to be alone with God does not make you more acceptable to God, nor do those practices change you. Rather, it is where change happens, as we come to meet with our Father and connect with His heart. Our teacher on this important subject is author and speaker Preston Gillum of Fort Worth, Texas, when he spoke at the Christ's Life Conference hosted by Crossways to Life. May Father use this message to deepen your walk with Him. Well, thank you, Ross. And uh, let me pick up where we left off with with this um, discussion of journaling. I began to journal about 20 years ago or so now, uh, maybe a little bit longer than that. Uh, Yeah, it was a little bit longer than that now that I think about it. And uh, my uh, journal habits have changed over uh, the years. I used to uh, write in a book. with, you know, a pen and so on. And after about four books, I decided that uh, that was a pain uh, because I, it's uncomfortable for me to write anyway. And I, I actually do my better thinking at a keyboard. And so my journal is now in that, that little box right there, that computer. And I, I write there. The things that I began to notice about my journal, um, when I would go back and look at it, is that it would give me perspective. It would help me see that God was indeed taking me on a journey. And I could define that and, and see it because it was recorded for me. One of the things that the enemy has always worked hard on me with is that I'm not getting anywhere. I'm not getting any better. I'm not progressing. I'm not getting the job done. I'm not making an impact, you know. Or, well, there was this problem, but it wasn't really a big problem, and it's glossed over, and thus my achievements and those sorts of things get discounted, and I, as an individual, get discounted and dismissed, and so on. In other words, there are attacks that are continually happening to me, the the person. And a journal helps me go back and see progress. It helps me see the way that God is working in my life. It helps me go back and see what the real issues were in order to see this is what God did in my life. So it provides a a record, if you will, a documentation that is irrefutable, basically, as far as I'm concerned. And I find that tremendously helpful. Because if I don't write something down, if I don't go through that discipline, then my history gets foggy. And once my history gets foggy, I am destined to repeat it. And like Israel in the wilderness, I do not want to make laps around Mount Sinai. I want to make progress. I want to move. I want to move in the right direction. And the journal helps me keep that kind of perspective. Writing is intolerant of presuppositions. In other words, when you write something down, it forces you to think logically. It forces you to think sequentially. And it forces you to put down every thought that you've got. Otherwise, it doesn't make any sense. So in other words, it is a discipline in and of itself that helps me think well. It helps me avoid the kind of thinking that leaves me vulnerable to temptation, in other words. And instead, it forces me to think in a logical way, all the while at a slow enough pace 
because I can only type so fast, at a slow enough pace that I can say, Father, that doesn't make any sense. And then I can go back and look at it and then put down um, something that does make sense and, and think my way through this. I believe, trusting that the Holy Spirit will be letting this occur. So you say, well, what are the rules then for journaling? Well, there aren't any rules, really. The secret is to sit down with some sort of a written or drawn medium and put the time in to force yourself to be honest with this medium that's in front of you. piece of paper, a computer screen, something like that. You can write there, you can draw there, you can doodle there, so long as you're honest and over time, as you look back on it, it charts a course for you. That's the discipline that I like of a journal. Uh, Furthermore, a journal, um, because there's part of it that is um, logical and sequential, and another part of it that is creative, uh, it is the art of writing, it, it demands that both sides of your brain uh, work on the project of journaling. Because one side of your brain is a creative side, and the other side of your brain is a logical side. Uh, one is sequential, one's intuitive, one's rational. The right brain is holistic, left brain's analytical, the other side synthesizes. One's objective, one's subjective, one looks at parts, one looks at holes, and so on it goes. Writing requires that you use both sides of your brain, um, which I think then says I bring more to the task in front of me in terms of thought than just half my brain. Which, if I'm just thinking, I only got half a brain working. But if I'm writing, I got both sides working. So I think it's a great discipline in that regard. Uh, there are no rules. Just be honest. Um, the um, things I've done in my computer, though, um, just a couple of tips. One, a journal is is mine. It's it's my personal thing. Uh, it belongs only to me. No one has ever seen my journals except God. My wife has not seen them. My journals are password protected. Even if you come up and steal this computer, you're not going to be able to get into my journals. They're all password protected. Such that I am absolutely certain that I can go to my journal and be sheer, unabashedly honest. I've made provisions in my journals, or excuse me, I've made provision in our family will for what happens to my journals because they're important. They are the documentation of what God has done in my life, but they're unedited. And I like going back and looking at them for that reason. They're not edited. And you know what? Most of my life, most of my public life, I edit it. You're not really seeing everything that I bring to the table. You're only seeing a small slice of it because I edit myself so that you'll like me. But I go to my journal with complete honesty because it doesn't care. It will interact with me at face value. I journal my interactions uh, with Father. I'm going to talk more about this tomorrow night because I want to describe 
in, um, in some detail how I use these journals to my advantage and to Father's uh, advantage when I go and do my personal retreats. So I'm going to talk to you some more um, about that and uh, a little bit later. But let me give you a sample of one of my journals. This was written uh, March the 12th um, uh, at 6.09 in the morning. And um, the reason I want to read this journal to you, uh, there's a couple of reasons. One, I want you to see that it is uh, partially a commentary. In other words, I'm going to think my way through in writing a passage of Scripture. And so I want you to see how I think it through. Now, don't get hung up on the actual words that I use, and you'll you'll hear me in this uh, excerpt here. You'll hear me talk about uh, the middle voice in the Greek language. Don't worry about, oh, gee, I can't journal because I don't know the Greek language. Don't worry about that. That's It's just me talking, and I'm just giving you an excerpt. You'll get the point as to what, you know, you don't need to worry about that. So I'm just going to talk to you. You're, I'm going to share with you in my journal this commentary. Second of all, I'm going to let you see how I think as I write, and you'll be able to see the sequential way in which I write. You'll also see that there are some jumps in there, that it's not perfect. It's not perfect grammar. In other words, it's not ready to be published, uh, and so on. However, that said, don't be intimidated because the writing is the writing of a writer. I'm a, that's what I do. I'm a writer. And so your journal won't sound like this because you may or may not be a writer. That is not the point. The point is to hear how I think, to see what I'm writing down, the kinds of things that I'm writing down, the kinds of things I'm trying to capture, such that one of these days I can go back and look at this journal entry from March the 12th, and I will have a record of something that God said to me at 6.09 in the morning on March the 12th. Now, the passage of Scripture that I'm going to talk about in here, I need to give you a little background, is Luke chapter 5, verse 16. And um, the reason I'm pulling this verse, we've already read it a couple of three times um, over the course of the week. We're going to talk about it again tomorrow night because it talks about Jesus pulling away into a solitary place. It says, but he himself, Jesus, would often slip away to the wilderness uh, places and pray. But he, Jesus, would often slip away to the wilderness places and pray. A couple of things that you'll hear me start talking about in this that you need, again, as backdrop. There are a couple of ways to read this particular verse that give nuance to what Jesus was really doing. You can say that Jesus would often slip away to the wilderness. It would also be grammatically correct for the verse to be uh, translated, Jesus would often slip away into the wilderness. So in other words, there's the idea that he would immerse himself into a wilderness place. As opposed to just going to the wilderness, he immerses himself into it. Also, there is the um, translation that uh, you can have it a wilderness place, you can also have it a lonely place. So he can take himself and go away to a lonely place, he can also go into a lonely place. Okay? So against that backdrop, here's my journal entry from March the 12th, 2008, 6.09 in the morning. 
But he himself, Jesus, would often slip away into the wilderness, a lonely place, and pray. Howard Hendricks wonders if Jesus, who had perfect connection with God, needed to pray. I'd been listening to a CD by Howard Hendricks, and so that's why that was fresh on my mind. It's not like I went out and did any research, okay? How much more, I mean, if Jesus prayed, how much more do we need to pray? I'm not sure I fully agree with Dr. Hendricks' assumption, but the point is valid. We need to pray. Where to pray? in order to give ourselves the best opportunity to focus and hear and commune, is evident in Jesus' behavior. The sense of prayer is also captured. No doubt, Christ prayed all the time, just as we are exhorted to do. But often he did something different when he talked with God. He slipped away, withdrew from whatever else he was doing to pray. Apparently, quote, slip, end quote, is a good translation. Seems like whenever Christ showed up, a crowd formed or followed. And there are occasions where they followed him into the wilderness. So, I guess in order to protect his solitude with Father, he must have slipped away. To slip away to the wilderness connotes a place designated in Jesus' mind as wilderness. To slip away in the wilderness conveys that once he was there, he immersed himself into the wilderness place as part of his devotion in prayer. He became part of his surroundings so as to leave himself in a place of wilderness, wildness, where God could do as God pleased and interact with him on a raw, unadulterated, quiet basis. To slip away to a lonely place is close to the idea in the term wilderness, but lonely place also has less stimulation than a wilderness teeming with activity. For example, beside a roaring stream cascading down the mountains. To slip away in a lonely place makes room for the places I feel as a leader and as a thinker. The place I gather exists in my mind that others don't tend to occupy. So I can slip away in a lonely place while I am among a throng, for example, as I often do on an airplane, and pray in the same way that Christ prayed. I am lonely, but rather than worry over my loneliness, I have opportunity to converse with Father in a special place that I frequent. Pray. It is written in the middle voice, showing that Jesus, the subject, was integrally involved in the activity and outcome of prayer, that is, discussing things with God. It conveys that there is an exchange occurring on the part of both parties. The middle voice indicates that Jesus was more intimately involved in the activity of prayer than simply doing something rote, which would be, which could be conveyed with the active voice. Jesus was not doing prayer. He was engaging in a personal discussion with God. That's my journal entry for that day. And so you can see I took a passage of Scripture. I thought it through. I considered it like we read Timothy doing. I meditated on it, pondered it. I prayed, said, Father, what does this mean? I said, older brother, Lord Jesus... You slipped away into the wilderness. What was that like? I have slipped away into the wilderness. I have, I have put on full camouflage and taken a predator call. And I have gone and sat in a hollow in the ground in the woods and called coyotes up to where I am so that I can just see them. 
I have slipped away into solitary, lonely places. I have sat by myself with 250 other people on an airplane before, flying over the North Atlantic. Is that what you mean? Talk to me. And you heard what I wrote down. You can see that as I looked at this, I came to some some conclusions that said, prayer is not something I do for God. It is an interaction. It is an exchange that occurs with God. And the model is who? My older brother. So like the disciples, I have gone to him and I said, dear brother, teach me to pray. And so he says, well, it's like this. When you go to those lonely places, I have slipped away in lonely. When you go to the wilderness, I have gone to the wilderness. When you go and you're disappointed because there is a throng, you need to understand sometimes you need to slip away so that no one notices. Oh, I got it. So you know what? Ever since, I have added something to my prayer life. You know what it is? Slipping Slipping. I slip away consistently. How do you talk with God? There's a formal way to talk with Him, I think, and there's an informal way. There's not a right nor a wrong way. Some of us, by disposition, are a little bit more formal. You sense that I'm a little uh, less formal, perhaps, than your culture. Um, That's Texas. That's the southern part of the United States. If I were from the northeast, I would have a different kind of a temperament about me and so on. There are different ways that we communicate with each other. And part of that is simply cultural. Part of it is personality. In other words, there is no right way to pray as informal. And there's no wrong way, informal or vice versa. There is simply the getting to know who God is and who... and how he wishes to communicate with you. I pray with God oftentimes, I discuss with him oftentimes, in a formal way. For example, um, there is a prayer, a morning prayer it's called, that is part of what's called the daily office. It's in the Book of Common Prayer. And it has, um, it's a prayer that has been around since uh, about 300. It is uh, said that the uh, person who penned it, a guy named Athanagenesis, um, sang this prayer as he was uh, being led to being burned at the stake along with ten of the guys that he was discipling. It was sung apparently in the catacombs of Rome when the Christians were being persecuted uh, during Diocletian's reign and so on thereafter. Um, And this prayer has survived and it is one of the things that sometimes, not all the time, but sometimes I will reach over on my bookcase and I will open up the daily office to this morning prayer that goes, O gracious light, pure brightness of the everlasting Father in heaven, O Jesus Christ, holy and blessed. Now as I come to the setting of the sun and our eyes behold the vesper light, I sing praises to you, O God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You are worthy at all times to be praised by happy voices, O Son of God, O giver of life, and to be glorified through all the worlds. And then I usually sing, Be Thou My Vision, 
to the tune of an old Irish melody. Be thou my vision, O Lord of my heart. Not be all else to me, save that thou art. Thou my best thought, by day or by night, waking or sleeping, thy presence, my light. Be thou my wisdom, and thou my true word. I ever with thee, and thou with me, Lord. Thou my great Father, and I thy true Son. Thou in me dwelling, and I with thee one. Riches I heed not, or man's empty praise. Thou mine inheritance, now and always. Thou and thou only, first in my heart. High King of heaven, my treasure thou art. High King of heaven, my victory won. May I reach heaven's joys, O bright heaven's sun. Heart of my own heart, whatever befall, still be my vision, O ruler of all. Amen. That's very formal. And yet that is part of my communication with my Heavenly Father. Another um, formal way to pray um, when the disciples came to Jesus and they asked him or you know, pleaded with him, would you teach us to pray? He gave them what we call the model prayer. We quote it all the time. It's in Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 through 13. Jesus says, pray then in this way. Our Father, who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And then after I quote that prayer to my Heavenly Father, then I go back and I follow the form and I discuss it. Let me show you what I mean. Jesus said, pray then in this way. Our Father who is in heaven, dear Father, I recognize that that is where you live. Hallowed be your name. I praise your name. You are worthy to be praised. I honor you in my life today. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. Today, I choose to live with you as Lord of my life. Would you reign in my life? Would you live and express yourself through me and make your will known to me? Give us this day our daily bread. Father, I am looking to you for everything that I need. You know better what that is than I do. I trust you to supply everything that I need because you promise that you will do that. And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Father, I'm sorry for the things that I have done to offend you specifically. I spoke harshly to Diane last night. I know that I've asked her to forgive me and I know that she did before we ever went to bed last night. But I apologize to you as well. I regret that. I walked after the flesh. It was not representative of me and it was not representative of you. It was not representative of your life in me. Thank you for forgiving me. Do not lead us into temptation, but deliver me from evil. Father, I know that the enemy stalks about like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour, and I know that I will be in his territory today. Would you protect me? Holy Spirit, through the power that you are in my life, would you hedge me about with your protection? 
Would you help me to be sensitive to the things that the enemy would do to try to lure me to walk after my fleshly ways? And would you protect me from any evil that might come my way where I would walk after the flesh and discredit my Heavenly Father? For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Father, there is no one any greater than you. And I declare to you, I know sometimes I struggle with it, but right now I declare to you, it is Christ and Christ alone in my life. In Jesus' name, amen. So you see the form of the Lord's Prayer, and you see how to take that form and not just pray it by rote, but to look at it as an, as an outline and then be able to have a discussion that you open up with your Heavenly Father about such things. And if you wish, then, you can say here at the end, um, Father, I'm trusting today through a determination of my will that it is Christ and Christ alone. And it is in his name that I pray. Now, Father, you have heard the cry of my heart. You have heard the intent of my determination. Do you have anything to add? What's your perspective on this? Now we're back to James, right? Now we're back to James. Tell me what's on your mind in response to this, Father. And then there is a less formal way to pray. And uh, let me describe how this works for me in my life. As I mentioned to you um, the first night, I, a number of years ago, 1982, so, you know, however many years ago that is, uh, stood up from the lunch table, had this terrific pain that happened in my back, and it's been there every day since. Um, and sometimes it's a little less, and sometimes it's a little more, and so on. But the point is, um, I lie down in bed at night and um, have relief from the pain each night for somewhere between 10 and 30 seconds. Other than that, 10 to 30 seconds each night, it hurts all the time. So... um, I get up in the morning then, and after having been in bed for however long you know I can tolerate it, I uh, you know roll out and you know shuffle across the floor, you know kind of go take care of business, and then the I mean the next thing that I do every single morning of my life is I lie down on the floor and I begin to stretch in order to get my back to loosen up. And I go through a whole series of different kinds of stretches. On a good day, it takes me 20 minutes. If it's a bad day, I give up at some point around 30 or 40 minutes probably. But I lie on the floor. There's been one time that I have not done this. One, one time. The phone rang on a Sunday morning at 3 a.m. It was my neighbor Richard. And he said, Chris, this is this is Richard next door. Can you take me to the hospital? I didn't stretch that morning. <laughs> I, I got up right then and I took Richard to the hospital. We drove 80 miles an hour to the hospital. He was having a kidney stone attack. 
And he, he lives to fight another day. But that's the only time that I can remember since the pain started that I, didn't, that I haven't stretched. So every morning I lie down on the floor and I begin these stretches. And it's the same routine every morning. You know, this knee comes forward. You know, this knee comes up. This knee goes out. This knee goes out. Then I, you know, over this way with the hips, over back this way with the hips. Then the legs straight up in the air and so on. Then back over onto all fours. You know, up, back like a cat. Then, and down, you know, I mean, there's this whole thing. It looks like a dance if you do it in fast motion like that and thought about that. And there's a whole deal that I go through where I, you know, move to the kitchen counter and or the bathroom counter, leg up and bend over and stretch and, and so on. It takes about 20, 25 minutes or so. And I don't have to think about this anymore. I've been doing it a long time. My mind is working. And so guess what? That's when I pray. That's when I pray. While I'm stretching. So I'm all over the floor. I mean, there isn't any form to this deal. I'm not, you know, praying and so on with my hands, my head bowed. I'm all over the floor. Okay? And it is, it's, it's, um, um, uh, what's, what do they call it? A free association. It's associative thought kind of a prayer. Okay? And I'm talking. My mind is going. Uh, there's a list. You know, I, I make lists like, my Heavenly Father does. We talked about that last night. One of the things he does is make lists. I make lists. And so I've got this list that's going on in my head. And so all the while I'm stretching, I'm talking to my Heavenly Father about my list. Father, I got this going. You know, and, and so on. So for example, uh, Saturday morning, I'm, uh, no, it was Monday morning, Monday morning when I came here. I'm, you know, stretching out and so on. And so I'm praying. And, um, I'm saying, you know, well, Father, today's the day. i got to go to the airport. Let's see, what time do I need to leave? I guess if I leave about 1130, that'll work. I need to talk to Diane about that, though, don't I? Be sure that that coordinates with her and so on. And uh, and she take no, I'm going to go ahead and take the car and I'll just park it out there. And I'll just do, um, yeah, I'll just do the long-term parking and everything. That'll work. And, you know, Father, that's tight right there. You know, that, that hurts. What, you know? Okay, you're going to take care of it. All right, I trust you on that deal. And meanwhile, okay, and i got to take... You know, and I go through my day. I talk to him about whatever is coming on in my head. If there's a big deal going on, I talk to him about that. But I, whatever is happening in my head, that's what I talk to him about. And I don't say any words. If that's him calling, let me know, would you? Um, um, I, don't, I don't use words. All right. Well, one time I was um, talking to him, and I um, was trying to to get my mind focused on on you know being sequential and and so on. And excuse me. And meanwhile, my mind is just all over the place, just Bing, 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 Bing. You know. And some of it was spiritual stuff, and some of it was. You know, I noticed that my neighbor put up copper gutters. What's that about? And that thought was in there, you know. And I remember that one. And it's just going all over like this. And finally I said, Father, I am so sorry. I am trying my best to stay focused here and talk to you about this. And I mean, this thought began to come in my mind. And the thought went like this. Press, I invented your mind. I, I created it. I gave you a quick 
mind. I gave you an inquisitive mind, such as, why did the guy put up copper gutters? You want to know, I invented that in you. And look, do you not think that I, who created you and formed you out of your mother's womb, cannot keep up with your mind? So think, press, think. I will keep up. And if I got something to say, I'll let you know. Set me free. Golly, it set me free. Just to think and talk and express and say, Father, if you got anything, just interrupt. I figure that, you know, in the Bible, he wrote on walls with his finger. He he had donkeys talk. He spoke in storms and rainstorms. He spoke in still small voices. He spoke, he spoke in fire. I mean, there's all these different things, all these different ways that God talked. Why would I believe that if I don't listen hard enough, I won't hear his voice? I say to him often, I say, Father, look, if we need to go another direction, let me know. But in the meantime, I believe that you've been guiding my thoughts and this is the direction I think we ought to go. And if something comes up, I trust you'll let me know. That lets him be responsible for himself rather than me being responsible for him. I think that may be one reason why my back hurts is I've been trying to be responsible for God all these years, you know? That's a heavy load. But it lets him be responsible for himself in the relationship, and it lets me be responsible for me in the relationship. Here's what I'm thinking, Father. If you've got something that's on your mind, I'm listening. So every morning I talk, unless he interrupts. And there have been mornings that he's interrupted. But every morning I just I just dump. Here's what's going on. And then the, kind of the last thing I tell him, first thing I tell him and the last thing I tell him is, and Father, I'm trusting you today. Would you, through your spirit, live through me? I want nothing more than to know that Jesus Christ, who is my life, has expressed himself through me in my life today. And I believe that then, that unless he tells me otherwise, that is what happens. Then I come home at the end of the day. Uh, If something big happens during the day, you know, I got to... You know, go to some big meeting or have to write something special or, you know, whatever. Then I will formally say, Father, this is a big deal. Like I told you this morning, I'm trusting you and I'm still trusting you. And then I start in. More for my benefit than his. But uh, at any rate, so go through a normal day. Um, come home and... Um, you know, do the normal stuff, dinner, hi to Diane, how'd your day go, blah, blah, blah. And then somewhere in there, uh, I say, sweetheart, going for my walk. And like I said, honey the dog used to help me with this. Now then it's a little harder because honey the dog didn't help me get out the door. But at any rate, every evening I say, uh, sweetheart, going for a walk. Put on my walking shoes and here's what happens. Take my glasses off and I'll leave them at home. You know why? Glasses are so I can see you, not so I can see here. I can see here just fine, but I can't see you very good. I can see you, but I can't tell who you are. 
I can see enough without my glasses to recognize if a car is coming at me. But I can't go for a walk at night without my glasses and see the guy's copper gutters. Seriously. These people that leave their windows uh, shades open at night. If I got my glasses, I can see in. Oh, looky there. They got red walls. I can't see in. In other words, when I take my glasses off, I'm not distracted by the distance. All I can see is right in front of me. And I walk a quarter of a block, and always within a quarter of a block, I say, Father, what's on your mind tonight? And then I don't say another word unless he asks me a question. The nighttime is my time to listen. The morning's my time to talk. The night is my time to listen. Sometimes he's got something to say. One night a verse of scripture came to my mind. Greater love has no man than he lays down his life for his friend. Interesting verse. Dear Lord Jesus, thank you for laying down your life for me. That tells me a great deal about my worth and my value to you. I'm a rich man. Thank you for that affirmation. And then a thought came to me. Press, I have asked you to lay your life down for me. And you have. Yeah. Well, it works both ways. You tell me a great deal about my value and my worth because you've laid your life down for me. I tell you what, I stopped dead in the intersection of Wilshire Boulevard and Berkeley Avenue when I heard that. That's a big thought, that I contribute somehow or another to the self-esteem of the Lord Jesus when I give my life to him. But apparently I do. That was a big thought. That happened one night while I was walking and listening. There are other nights when I walk and I say, Father, what's on your mind tonight? Nothing. Well, got anything you want to talk about? Nope, just want to walk. Okay. And we just walk. Come in, Diane says, how was your walk? Fine. Father say anything? Nope, we just walked. Okay. In other words, I'm trying to describe to you that in my prayer life, there is a discussion with God. There is a, a, an output from me to him. And then there is a conscious effort to set aside a period of time to listen and believe that he will talk to me if he's got something to say to me. But when we talked about those personal disciplines the first night, those personal disciplines, one of the personal disciplines, one of the spiritual disciplines is prayer. It is discussion with God. It is putting yourself on that path with um, works righteousness on one side and, and license on the other and being in the middle of that path, putting yourself in a place where God does what God wants to do. If God wants to say something, I figure it's my job to get myself in a spot where I can hear him. And that's what it means to me to go for a walk at night. I walk and I listen at night.
And that's how I do it. And I believe that Father will then speak to me when I do that. One illustration and then I'll end. One of my buddies uh, referenced him the other night, a guy named Randy. He used to tell me, uh, it's been, I don't know, he told me for probably three or four or five years. <coughs> he uh, would say, I don't know, a couple of times a year, he'd say, you know what, i got a vision of you. Oh, really? What's that? He said, uh, my vision of you is that you've got this giant pack on your back. And all these people are dumping stuff in the pack. And you're hauling it. Oh, yeah, it's interesting. And I dismissed that, you know, for several for several years. And he told me that a couple, three times a year for several years. And then one night we were sitting down and he said, you know, I got this vision for you. And he, I said, what is the vision? And he kind of went through I said, yeah, I, I remember you telling me that. And he went through it. It's this big pack. All these people are dumping stuff in it. And there's some people even got a ladder. And they climb up the ladder and they dump all this stuff in the pack and so on. And you know what? I saw the vision. I saw the vision. And I said, you know what? This is not right. These people should not be putting stuff in my pack. And so um, I left my meeting with Randy and I went home and I went for my walk and I said to Father, you know what, Father? I believe that my friend Randy has given me a word that uh, is valuable for me. And you know what? I am going to resolve through your strength to keep people from putting stuff in my pack. I'm going to set up some boundaries like that guy that wrote the book wrote about. I'm going to put boundaries around me so that people won't put stuff in my pack and I have to haul it around. I'm tired of being overly responsible. That's part of my flesh and I'm going to quit doing that. And so I set myself with great determination to keep people from putting stuff in my bag. And you know what? I was really good at it. And then all of a sudden, I'd turn my head and the next thing I know, somebody had dumped a bunch of stuff in my pack. And I'd clean it out of there and I'd walk for a little while and lo and behold, somebody had put some other responsibilities in my pack and I'd be all burdened down under the load of it and so on. That went on for two years. Slow learner here. Um, and I would talk to Father about this on a pretty regular basis. And then one night, I was walking down uh, Ward Parkway in my neighborhood. And I'm walking along, and I'm talking to Father about the fact that these people keep putting stuff in my pack. And I hear a voice in my head that says, why don't you take the pack off? And I said, well, I had never thought about that. And he said, well, I think that'd be a good idea. And I stopped in the middle of the street and uh, I said, okay, what is the pack? And he said, it is your competency and your strength. In the motto, I can do this. I can do this. And I said, well, Father, I can't take that off. I can't stop being strong. I, I can't stop being capable. I mean, what do you mean, take my pack off? And a thought came to me. Why don't we do this? Why don't you relinquish your motto of I can do this, I can, capable, do this, strength. Why don't you relinquish your motto by, you know, taking your pack off And then let's make a deal. 
You don't pick anything up unless I tell you to pick it up. Everything else that comes into your life, if I don't tell you to pick it up, let's just assume that it's mine to carry, not yours. What do you say? Okay. And so I kind of went like that, literally. I need these visuals. Went like that in the street and took my pack off, if you will. And then to this day, that was several years ago, to this day, when I am aware that there is some responsibility coming my way, I stop mentally and I say, Father, does this belong to me or does it belong to you? You want me to pick this up or is it yours? And unless I hear in my head a clear thought that says, no, this is yours, I do not pick it up. What I'm trying to illustrate for you is uh, I'm trying to give you an example of several things. One, this conversation with God lasts for a period of time. It's ongoing. It is not like my conversation in the Illinois cornfield where I got a word from God and then I didn't discuss discuss the matter with him any further. Instead, it is ongoing, and it is progressive, it is developing, it is a conversation that God and I have about things that are important to me and pertinent to Him, and therefore involve us both. I spend time telling Him what's on my mind, I spend time listening, believing by faith that he is guiding the thoughts that he has given me, knowing that I have a volume of his word here through which to filter the thoughts that come to me. In other words, when the enemy throws a thought at me, it, it 99% of the time it gets hung up in what I know to be in the pages of this book. Because I have the volume. Now we're back to the personal discipline of reading the scriptures. The thought from the enemy that he throws in, he's constantly throwing, it gets hung up in the filter of the scripture. And meanwhile, the thoughts that come to me that I believe are from the Holy Spirit, I can see them come through the filter of the scriptures here such that I say, okay, this is from Father. This is from God. And it has been progressive. It has been something that I have gotten better at with God, that is, telling him and listening to him, in the same way that I have gotten better at marriage. I am better, you know, after being married for 18 years, 19 years almost, I I am better at talking to Diane and listening to Diane than I was 18 years ago. And I am better today at talking and listening to Father than I was last year. And so prayer then is a personal discussion between you and your personal God that filters itself through his personal book as you engage in the personal disciplines of putting yourself in a place where God can engage you in your personal story 
such that as you put all this together, you're able to see what God is doing in your life, not just to your life. He's taking you someplace. And these are the practicalities, at least in my experience, for some of the ways that he does this. Now then, all of that happens on a daily basis for me. There are other times in my life that happen on a formal kind of a scheduled basis where I go away on a retreat with Father, and I spend time with Him in a focused fashion. Sometimes it's a short period, sometimes it's a little longer period. Tomorrow night, I'm going to talk us through how I go about doing that and why, what the mental steps are, what the physical steps are, how I feel like I put myself in a place such that God can accomplish what God wants to in my life through the things that he has been putting there as building blocks. And I'm going to do my best to make this a sequential and logical kind of a thing. I've been doing this for over 20 years, and I have learned it through trial and error. Tomorrow night, I hope to take the trial and error out of it and flatten the learning curve a little bit for you guys. Father, thank you that you engage us. Thank you that you are interested in us, that you want to talk to us. Thank you that you came down here in order to be able to speak with us personally, to take a special interest in the things that concern us and involve us. In the name of Jesus, amen. This message was recorded at the Christ is Life Conference hosted by Crossways to Life. It is the desire of Crossways to Life to know God deeper and disciple Christians on their journey to life and freedom that they may love others from their new pure heart by faith in Jesus Christ, living through them as a result of their union with Christ at the cross. For more information, upcoming events, or how to contact us, please visit our website at www.crosswaystolife.org.